Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, this is Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. I just want to give a big hip, hip, hooray out there to our tremendous membership that does such a great job. Remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB ACB Radio Radio Mainstream. The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McAllen. Today, we're going to talk about something very important. We're going to talk about how blind and visually impaired people deserve the same opportunities as everybody else. This subject was brought up in a recent special column to the Topeka Capital Journal. Karen Page is Vice President of Innovation and Workforce Innovation Center Lead at Envision in Wichita, Kansas-based organization, and is providing opportunity and inspiration for the blind and visually impaired. Karen Page spoke out and wrote the column in the Topeka Capital Journal. Karen is here to explain the story. Hi, Karen. Hi, Brian. Thanks for inviting me to uh, the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Tell us about yourself and Envision and what you do in the organization. So I am the vice president of innovation, as you said, and I often say, what does that mean? So I think it's important for me to tell you what I think it means as the vice president of innovation at Envision. And Envision is a a nonprofit agency who works with people who are blind or visually impaired to provide employment opportunities and services. Uh, But I think my role is really important, the innovation. And what does that mean? That's not a common role. Um, it is Envision's commitment to improving, to innovating, and to changing so that we really start to move the needle on opportunities for people who are blind or visually impaired. This is actually, Brian, you might find it interesting, my second career um, in 2019 and 20, kind of during that uh, pandemic time, I started thinking about what kind of impact I had and what kind of legacy I wanted to leave. 
And I also asked myself the question, was I using my talent to extract and contribute the fullest value? And so I decided to make a career change. So I spent almost 30 years being an, uh, as an international trade consultant, helping small businesses and consulting with the government, et cetera. So I'm happy to be at Envision, working on workforce, working with potential employers so that we can employ people who are blind or visually impaired. That's great. What inspired you, you to write that column about how the blind and visually impaired deserve the same opportunities as everybody else in Kansas? You know, I mean, that is such a good question because, I mean, to me, it's like, well, why wouldn't they? Like, I, I, that's just how my brain works. Um, but really what the inspiration was, as I've been engaging with both like government leaders as well as corporate leaders, what I have learned is that people just don't think about it. And in, then when they do think about employing someone who is blind or visually impaired, uh, a couple of things happen. Um, they don't understand because they've never had the opportunity to, um, to connect with someone. Um, and so they, a lot of ignorance comes into play. So they, you know, fear um, enters the equation. They don't understand that there's technology that's being used. They don't understand that, you know, there's people in the community that want to work and want to work in professional positions. And so as I was having those conversations um, in Wichita and around the state, I said, you know what, I need to be part of the broader conversation and tell people it's totally possible. In my career, one of the things that I have done over and over again is take something that seems scary or that we don't, that a large um, a number of people don't understand and try to really simplify it and make it more accessible to someone so that we can really start to make progress and improvement, um, you know, uh, in, in this area. So that's what inspired me was the need for education to a broader audience. The other thing where we really um, understand that the um, leadership of our government is so important. And um, so we wanted to make sure that we work with the government leaders as well as corporate leaders. Um, and so you see in that um, that op-ed op opinion piece that it combines kind of both those concepts. You mentioned in the column that most of the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations overlook the people who have disabilities and are blind and visually impaired. Why is that happening? So this is, um, I'm going to be positive and say, I am so pleased that we're having conversations as a community and society about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I believe all people matter. Um, and so that's important to me. But why is it happening that we're not including people who are blind or visually impaired or with other disabilities? I think it's because we as a society tend to overlook to not see those people because they're not fully um, integrated in our day-to-day -day lives. That's why I think it's happening. So when you have a conversation about equity and diversity and inclusion, um, you begin by adding into the conversation what you are aware of and what you can see. But if the majority of the population doesn't understand that people who are blind or visually impaired can actually come into the workforce, can actually, you know, contribute value into a corporation, then it doesn't become immediately part of the conversation. And I really think we need to change that. In Kansas, there are almost 70,000 blind and visually impaired residents. 
you believe that number is going to grow. What demographic of the blind and visually impaired in Kansas do you expect to grow the most in the coming years? So there are really, I think you can divide it into two areas of the population. One is the aging uh, populations. We have lots of baby boomers who are now thinking about entering retirement. And as we age, um, we know that um, certain eye disease really becomes more prominent. Um, the other thing I think we have to think about is um, uh, eye diseases related to diabetes. I think that will grow, um, unfortunately, as our population um, has more and more people who are you know, living with diabetes. So aging demographic and, and, and people um, with diabetes. And we're talking about these demographics here with the aging population. So why do you think it's more important now than ever just to break down the stereotypes and build that understanding amongst the blind and visually impaired? So as we have um, more people who are entering our community, um, they're going to need those services. So I kind of want to turn that question on its head. It is, um, it's, it's an opportunity um, for us to really engage with what I call mainstream employers or mainstream corporations. The, if more and more of their employees that they're already familiar with, who are already working in their places of business, are going to need the kind of services as their eyesight deteriorates, um, this is an opportunity for us to engage in more meaningful ways and for them to become um, smarter about employing people who are blind and visually impaired and what it takes to do that successfully. So, Karen, we know that the white cane is that important navigation safety tool for blind and visually impaired folks, but many people won't use the white cane because they fear about being judged or they just don't want to, quote, unquote, look different. Explain this to us. So I have people on my team that I value and love dearly who are white cane users. And I've asked them this question. I'm typically cited, Brian, so I don't feel really fully qualified to answer the nuances of this question, but I'm going to try because I do consider myself an empathetic person. First of all, that white cane is an external signal to the typically cited world to take care, to watch out. Um, and so I think that's really important. It really is a signal that the typically sighted world can use to take caution. Um, there's a white cane user, you know, don't get in that crosswalk in your car, like pay attention. And so I think that's really important. But the, about the looking different, um, I think I'm also not qualified to answer this because I was raised by a single parent to be very independent. So looking different. And the way I was raised, Brian, is actually highly valuable, not less valuable. Um, but I do understand um, when we're already dealing with a community of people who feel isolated and who are isolated, that doing one more thing that makes them feel and look different um, is uncomfortable. And I hope that as we educate more people about the value that um, our friends who are blind and visually impaired bring to a conversation bring to a corporation and bring to our lives, that this will become a non-issue. I understand that in order to break down barriers and vision shared and educate with state legislators how blind and visually impaired people are capable of doing many more things, 
then the Synod might realize. Talk more about the efforts done here and the goal of this special event. I understand that you got together with some legislators at the Kansas State House, which is your state capital. Yes, we did. Um, about um, actually almost fifty-five-zero legislators came and um, listened to us talk about what it live, uh, what it feels like to live and work with a visual impairment or blindness. And then we provided them a, a sighted guide training. Um, the reason this was important is because um, when we engage with a community, engaging with its leadership, both government leaders, community leaders, and corporate leaders is a really good formula to make change. Um, to make change, we have to first bring about awareness. And so our efforts in Topeka, I have to tell you, Brian, it was actually really fun. We had a great day. We were um, for about two and a half hours, or actually a little bit longer than about three hours, we did 30-minute sessions back-to-back and just, you know, kept talking to the state legislators. Um, and so that's really important to make change in a community. We have to both work with people kind of at the grassroots, but also we have to work with people in leadership positions. So all those legislators got mm-hmm. the tutorial on how to use the white cane they learn how to be sighted guides. They listen to even the envisioned blind and visually impaired employees speak about their professional and personal goals and their job roles. Is there any evidence out there that the legislators left the event with additional empathy for the blind? Yes. I'm not sure what will satisfy you and your listeners about evidence, but I can tell you that um, several of the legislators that we engage with um, now are following us on social media, post, you know, words of encouragement. They have now engaged with us at different events. Um, I'll give you one example. One of the legislators who has always been a supporter, but now is a more active supporter, um, kind of chastised me um, last week for not having invited her to our charity golf tournament. Um, and so that's kind of a funny thing to say, but that was partly because we were at the Capitol building. We were educating people. Um, we were providing people a chance to understand, to empathize and engage with us. Um, we've also had um, legislators who reached out to us after the event in Topeka and asked us if we would come to their community and meet with um, employers who would be open to employing people who are blind or visually impaired. And so that's a really nice metric. Um, that we're following. And I hope that, um, you know, over time, we'll be able to, you know, go to every uh, district in the state and meet with everyone who wants to employ someone who's minor visually impaired as a result of that event in Topeka. Are the legislators thinking about passing any bills or acts to uh, help the blind out in the state of Kansas in any way? And has this passed on to other states? Uh, yes, so they recently updated um, the, I think it's called the ABLE uh, account. So they recently updated that was out of compliance. Um, they've also um, are considering an appropriation request um, for one of Envision's um, programs that serves people who are blind, originally impaired, and have other um, developmental disabilities. Um, so that would be, you know, legislation as well. So there's several things that they're looking at to make improvements. Um, uh, I'll tell you something that's not necessarily legislative, but as a result of the interaction, Topeka, 
we actually um, were introduced to the um, person that works for the state government who handles all um, accessibility issues for all the agencies. And so um, he is now referring people to Envision's accessibility experts as the different agencies have need to make their websites or their documents accessible. So not a legislative um, uh, change, Brian, but certainly a change that matters. Um, have you gone, gone to any other groups and told them about this viewpoint as well? Besides, Oh, the for sure. Every chance I get, Brian, this is what we're talking about. I promise. I'm ta- do you, is there someone that you think I should talk to? You let me know. I'll be there. Sure. That sounds good. <laughs> Besides the legislators, who have you? Who else have you even talked to about this? Even just besides here, like 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 other groups. Uh, so we've talked to a lot of individual companies, but we've also talked to some um, groups in our community. Um, I've actually talked to the city of Wichita, um, to the to Cedric County, which is the county we reside in, um, and um, talked to. I'm, I'm a member of the Wichita Chamber of Commerce board. Uh, we presented at the downtown Rotary in Wichita, which is one of the largest Rotary organ, uh, clubs in the nation. Um, so we're ma- lots and lots of outreach and not just me, Brian, going out and doing this, but um, Envision Leadership. So we're, we're taking every opportunity we can to really get that message out. What are some specific ways that we can all work together to break down the barriers affecting the blind and visually impaired? I love this question. Thank you for asking me. So I um, really use my own experience. I should have said earlier, but I've been at Envision now for just 10 months. So I'm still new. Um, and so, but what I do is I use that newness, that sort of eyed wise open, think about as, you know, sometimes we think about how a child looks at the world. It's sometimes oversimplified, but that simplification provides insight. And so what I would say is meet people where they are, understand that most people have not had the extraordinary opportunity to meet, to engage, to connect, or work with people who are blind or visually impaired. And that's not because they're mean or evil. It's just because they have not. And so if we meet them where they are, knowing they um, they don't, they know little and they don't have any experience and they probably are afraid. Um, so one of the things I, um, I, I, you know, when I'm working with our staff, I said, let's meet them where they are. They're afraid of this. They don't understand if, you know, what they can say and what they cannot say. Um, they don't understand that you can use a computer. Um, they don't understand that um, you can navigate the world independently because they just don't know. And so I would, uh, specific ways I would say is first, meet people where they are. Meet the typically side of where they are. Um, so that you can have a chance to educate them. The second thing I would say is for people who are blind or visually impaired, um, if you will continue doing what you're doing and educate us, just answer our questions. We're not trying, most people aren't mean, we're just trying to understand. Um, The third thing is, I would say every chance you get, um, let people understand that, that there are, that a a person who is blind or visually impaired can do pretty much anything anyone else can do. And I always say, except for drive a car, except for that should change soon, hopefully with autonomous driving vehicles, right? Um, So I think every opportunity you can just have that conversation. I really feel it's important to um, be be transparent, to be open and honest and be respectful in those conversations. 
And if we can do that together, if the receivers and the givers of the information um, do all this with respect, I think we'll have a chance to have a conversation that starts to change the world. Um, and so I would say it starts with one conversation and just have conversation after conversation. Years ago, I asked a former governor of Kansas and now professor at a Kansas university, how I could best affect change um, in the community. Um, and I said, my mother always told um, me that I was not allowed to complain unless I could also offer a solution. And offering a solution meant doing, meant working, meant lending a hand. And so his answer to me, Brian, was, it starts with one person and one conversation. You have one conversation with one person and you do that again and again and again. And then you have a groundswell. And a groundswell will create change that you want to happen. And so I'll end that answer with this, have those conversations. Let's create a groundswell. Let's make people aware of what's possible and change the world. I agree. Now, have you just have you ever thought, Karen, that um, the blind and visually impaired may not be able to do everything that the sighted can, you know, due to some health concerns? What do you What do you have to say on the other side of the issue? Because not every blind person, I at least think, may be able to do everything. Well, you know, that's an interesting question because not every typically sighted person can do everything for a number of reasons. Um, and let me just rephrase that. I think a person who is blind or visually impaired can do anything that a typically sighted person can do with the same skill set, right? So I think that, um, I think it's a really good question because you're right. Not everyone can do everything. I can't do everything, Brian. I'm only five foot tall. I have <laughs> difficulty reading, reaching cabinets, right? Because I'm too <laughs> short. I have to get a step stool. But, and that's a silly way to say, um, silly way to answer your question. But um, I think people should strive to achieve their potential with the skill sets and the given talents that they have. And in order to do that, if you're blind and visually impaired, we're going to have to overcome some more barriers, which includes preparing employers and companies to receive your talent, right? To make sure they're accessible, to make sure they're comfortable. So I think that what I would say is, um, I want everyone to achieve their potential and to have the opportunity to do so. I agree. Karen, is there anything else you'd like to add? I would just like to say, Brian, thank you so much for having me today and for um, really having this um, show. I think it's such a great opportunity to have a conversation in a safe space and you're doing really important work. And I'm so pleased and honored to be a part of it. Oh, we're pleased and honored to have you on here, Karen, and we appreciate your efforts to speak out for the blind and visually impaired to realize that they can have the similar opportunities as our sighted peers. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website at speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. 
You are listening to ACB Media One, also known as Mainstream, the flagship of the ACB Media Network. The ACB Media Network is a service of the American Council of the Blind. Please visit us at acbradio.org.